Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As we embark on a new week, we take inventory of what lies ahead that investors will be focused on and how to consider positioning your portfolio accordingly. Joining me here for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, thank you for joining us here on a Monday morning. Welcome back and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here on Monday. So, Jason, perhaps we can begin with current market conditions. And as we speak, I know the futures here in the U.S. are pointing to a lower open at 930. Though, thinking back to last week, post-Wednesday's Fed policy announcement and the press conference delivered by Chairman Jerome Powell, investors were met with some significant market swings. So, Jason, can you help us make sense of this market behavior? Well, let's just take you know, the market behavior itself and the pricing. We had two days last week where the S&P 500 had moved greater than 3 percentage points. On Wednesday, it was up more than 3%. On Thursday, it was down more than 3%. If the cumulative effect for the whole week was that it was only down about 20 basis points. So a lot of noise you know, day-to-day, but overall, you know, wealthy unchanged, obviously with more negative tone towards the end of the week and to start uh, the week today. In the bond market, we also saw big swings, but the net effect was that the, you know, the yields went up. You know, the 10-year Treasury yield rose about 20 basis points. And ultimately, we can kind of blame the Fed for this, or at least the market's interpretation of you know, what the Fed meeting uh, produced. The formal part of the FOMC meeting pretty much went as expected. We got a 50 basis point increase in the Fed funds rate. That was you know, widely expected. And also the announcement that the balance sheet reduction will begin effective June 1. This is QT. And again, that was basically expected. Uh, what was a little bit unexpected was during Jay Powell's press conference, he said that a 75 basis point rate hike is not being considered at this time. So pretty much ruled it out and said more likely 50 basis points in June and 50 or July. You can kind of you know at least pencil those in. So that was a little bit more dovish relative to expectations. You know, also sounded perhaps a little more confident on inflation, at least not getting out of control. Um, so the market's initial reaction after this press conference took place was. This is dovish. This is positive for risk assets. You saw equities go higher, bond yields go lower. But with some reflection overnight and a lot of chatter going around, you know, the investor psychologists had pivoted to one being that this actually could be negative. The Fed is getting further behind inflation instead of being aggressive and trying to raise the rates quickly to get inflation down. Inflation could run even hotter. Um, if that happens, the Fed has to raise rates even more later on. And if that's the case, then ultimately the market sort of pricing in, you know, those more aggressive rate hikes subsequently. So it was a viewed at least by Thursday, a bit of a policy mistake or communication error. Uh, and that's what kind of explains the reaction, the unwinding of that, you know, Wednesday rally on Thursday. I'd say even by the end of the week, though, a third interpretation emerged, which is that perhaps Powell wasn't actually that dovish after all. He's basically saying, you know, we want you know, and inflation to come down and we'll do what is necessary to do that and what, what is appropriate. All of this speaks to just a lot of uncertainty. Um, and this is just contributing in terms of in the macro environment, but also like the Fed's response and how effective will, will it be. And that's really kind of leading to a lot of the market volatility that we saw last week. Well, it is interesting to hear how the interpretation of Fed Chair Jerome Powell's commentary evolved throughout the course of last week. So, Jason, if we step back from these day-to-day market swings, from your vantage point, what would you say is the overarching market issue that investors are grappling with right now? You know, we can extrapolate from the day-to-day 
you know, trying to, you know, investors trying to interpret Fed speak. And basically, really, the big picture issue here is that as long as inflation is high, well above the Fed target, as long as the labor market is tight, which is, you know, potentially going to fuel inflation long term, the Fed's going to be biased towards tightening financial conditions to try and slow growth. I mean, that's the macro dynamic, which uh, ultimately is not a great environment for, for equities. And we saw that last week on last Thursday. But it's also not a great environment sort of for risk assets or assets that, you know, overall. So, for example, on Thursday, when the S&P was down 3%, the 10-year Treasury bond was down more than 1%. And that combination of both selling off by those magnitudes is very rare. We've seen two days like that in the past 15 years. One was in March of 2020, during the depths of the worst of the pandemic, and then go back to 2009 when the financial crisis was still raging. Uh, and you actually get this sort of a perverse situation when equity markets rally on the dovish news as they did on Wednesday afternoon. That's actually kind of counterproductive for the Fed because it means financial conditions are loosening um, you know, so really, you know, that's got, that's kind of the overarching kind of situation that the Fed is dealing with and that the markets are dealing with. As long as that's the case, it's going to be difficult for, for I think, for risk assets in particular to, you know, to perform better. Uh, you know, so a lot of this comes down to, you know, questions that we don't have great answers to, you know, such as, like, how much does the Fed actually need to tie in kind of financial conditions or to raise rates to slow growth? Uh, and how much does growth need to slow in order for the labor market to cool and inflation to moderate? Um, you know, we can kind of estimate what those will be, but no one really at this point knows. And given the uncertainty around it, that's really into sort of a lot of investor anxiety and really kind of concern that we don't know. That's kind of, you know, kind of reduced exposure, you know, kind of reduce um, your allocations until we get a better sense. And that's kind of what you're seeing, I think, in the marketplace last week and even this morning. So, Jason, I know you just authored the CIO Weekly Regional View for the U.S. And within the piece, you do mention that slowing growth and potentially a recession are what is really concerning investors, not high inflation per se. So what is CIO's view on growth, Jason? And can the Fed achieve a soft-ish landing? Well, we don't think a recession is likely in the next 12 months. You know, the economic momentum is still quite solid. The consumer is healthy, and we're not seeing any real signs of weakness in terms of just spending because inflation is high. I mean, a little bit small the margin, but certainly overall the picture is quite robust. Uh, and even with the Fed tightening, we know that monetary policy operates with a lag. So, for example, on the housing market, you know, there is you know signs of higher interest rates, higher mortgage rates having an effect. But the, the momentum in the housing market is such that it's going to probably take you know multiple months, multiple quarters before you really start to see kind of a pullback in that kind of activity. On top of that, there is a lot of just difficulty in interpreting the data because ultimately it's quite noisy. And, you know, and the jobs number on Friday is a good example. It came in actually you know, the total number of payroll increases was 430,000. You'd account for prior months being adjusted a little bit lower. It's pretty much banging in line with the consensus expectations, and you know it's an indication of economic strength. But if you look at the inflation implications of the report, it was much more mixed. So on the one hand, average hourly earnings were up 5.5% year over year. If you look at the last three months, on an annualized basis, it's 3.7%. So the good news is that wage growth seems to be plateauing to some extent, maybe even coming down. There's, again, some noise in the data, but at least that's kind of the, the picture you take away from it. But offsetting that sort of relatively kind of good news on inflation is the fact that the labor force participation rate declined, which suggests the labor market is kind of already tight. All this means that, you know, depending on your perspective, if you're bullish or bearish or constructive or negative, that there's data in there that you can point to kind of reinforce your thesis. So everything that we're seeing, you know, thus far is consistent with our base case that growth will be sort of fairly resilient and the risk of recession in the next 12 months is pretty low. And also that inflation will moderate. 
but it's not so convincing that we can rule out all the scenarios definitively. And, and there is certainly another investor view that growth is actually slowing kind of more quickly. It's slowing even, you know, in the, perhaps in the first, second half of this year. Uh, this is due to the, you know, in higher rates already having an impact, higher inflation. You have the overhang of disruptions caused by the Ukraine war, the commodity markets and supply chains due to the COVID lockdowns in China. And actually, the growth outlook is sort of deteriorating even more rapidly than we did think. Now, we don't think that's the case. And you know, China, from a, ta- a headwind, potentially a tailwind in terms of growth, as soon as another month from now, those lockdowns start to ease. But that's sort of the dynamic right now in the marketplace that, you know, it's almost the, the investors need to see proof the data is OK and inflation is coming down before they believe it. Until then, there's a lot of sort of skepticism. Now, we ultimately think we'll be proven correct, but that's the market dynamic right now. Running a bit further with data interpretation, Jason, turning focus to this week, I know the market will receive readings on key inflation data for the month of April. So just how important is this inflation data for the Fed and the markets, Jason? Well, you can say ultimately that the salve for investor fears in the near term and really even reducing sort of the the medium-term risks and to be able to achieve so that soft landing is that inflation starts to moderate. Um, and, and then the inflation dynamics can improve. You know, we had a CPI print in March that was 8.5%. The reading for April is likely to be lower. The consensus is 8.1%. And we know just at a minimum from a year-over-year perspective, the base effects get easier. So it's quite likely it's going to drop. There's also other data points that are consistent with you know, uh, sort of a bit of a moderation, whether it's used car prices continuing to drop, goods prices continuing to drop. Uh, so there, there's sort of comfort there in that thesis. But because investors have seen a year of inflation consistently surprising to the upside, it's going to take more than one or two data points, I think, for people to become convinced that inflation is moderating, moderating decisively from, you know, its peak in March to a level that at least starts to get into a range of like, well, this, you know, is getting sort of, you know, a little bit more reasonable, like, you know, like the 4% range. Uh, which putting, you know, used to be 2%. Now I think investors would be comfortable at least with 4%, at least for, for ruling off kind of growth concerns this year. But it's going to take a few you know, months of the data to kind of get that way. And I think once it does, though, I think that will be sort of a key to equity markets sort of reversing some other you know, negative sentiment right now, because then there's a belief that, well, the Fed perhaps won't have to be quite as aggressive as the markets fear. Some of the hikes that are being priced into the markets could get unwound at least a little bit. So the headwind from that perspective could alleviate and if also the Fed ultimately believes inflation dynamics are such that we get to their goal at the end of 2024 of inflation, you know, core PC being around 2.5%, if it's headed in that direction, it also means that their ability to achieve a soft landing or softish landing you know, becomes uh, you know, you know, more solid. And the one point I add on that, and this goes back to your prior question, why we sort of still feel comfortable you know, with a softish landing being you know, not a low-risk you know, or low-probability event is that the overall financial picture, the financial balances for households and for the corporate sector are quite solid. So a lot of it's kind of built in resiliency. This is different than the situation going into prior recession. So you know, it doesn't preclude a recession from happening, but it certainly is a headwind for it, and it sort of softens the blow to some extent. And the second factor is that the labor market is, is so tight that even if we get a reduction in the demand for workers, it could almost be cut in half, and all that does is bring you back to sort of a sublime demanding back into balance. So there's a lot of sort of potential cushion for the labor market to be able to absorb kind of a little bit slower growth to get back into balance. And so those things kind of give us the comfort from a growth perspective. But the key, again, is sort of the inflation dynamics improving and hopefully improving fairly soon. Well, thank you, Jason, for the added clarity on that point. So 
Tying this all into portfolio positioning from your vantage point, Jason, how do you recommend that investors position in this environment accounting for so many unknowns and perhaps prolonged volatile conditions ahead of us? Well, first, I think it is going to be a volatile environment going forward, at least for the next few weeks, couple of months, until the macro data starts to at least kind of kind of align with our thesis that things will get a little bit better. Right now, sentiment is, is getting is quite bearish. You know, as of Friday, I want to say it's capitulation levels, but just even seeing some of the chatter over the weekend, reading emails this morning, seeing how the market's opening up, it feels like we're getting closer to those levels. And just for perspective, if the S&P from its all-time high were to decline 20%, that would take the level to 38 to 20 on the S&P. And right now it's, you know, it's around, uh, you know, 4,050. So another 200 points to go. This is not a forecast by any stretch that we will get there, but I think at those levels, Investors are going to start to look at that risk reward and think, well, now we're already down 20%. We're pricing in two-thirds of chance of recession. This feels a little bit like, you know, kind of extreme. There's also some dynamics in the marketplace where investors seem to be just sort of de-risking. So like days like last Thursday where you saw the sell-off in both treasuries and equities, that's a sign perhaps of investors who are, you know, based on, you know, you collect a portfolio based on volatility. They're kind of just sort of, you know, kind of capitulating to some extent of de-risking. They can't take risk. So a little more you know, downside, all sequel starts to probably get some of those investors to want to come back in and start to buy, even before we get sort of fundamental improvement, which could happen you know, fairly soon. So that's the near-term environment. I think to try and get sort of too tactical and de-risk at this point in time would be a mistake, given how much downside there is. At the same time, thinking, is this an opportunity where you want to step in? I think we need to something better in terms of the sentiment, but also the fundamentals. That's sort of very near term. Like I'm talking like the next you know few weeks, the next couple of months. If we think more of a six month horizon, uh, even a 12 month horizon, what we're advising for is for investors to position their portfolios for inflation staying high, and, and probably on that time horizon, like above the you know, even the Fed's target and above the levels that we're used to for the past decade, but don't yet position for a recession. Which means that ultimately we think there's you know once we get some stabilization, equity markets we still see upside for the rest of the year. Um, you know, we see commodities still doing well in that environment, but also potentially rates continue to drift a little bit higher. Although in near term, we think they've kind of stab- they should stabilize at these kind of levels and probably not to go too much higher. From an equity perspective, we still like value stocks. We saw them at least relatively outperform last week. We still like energy. Um, commodities are, are attractive both as a base case scenario of growth being actually okay, but also as a hedge for further dislocations caused by the Ukraine war. Um, you know, but if within fixed income in general, the message we're saying is kind of go up in quality, up in credit quality, uh, and sort of get more sort of balance on your duration, but not yet kind of go long, given that rates could go higher, just because liquidity is so poor in the marketplace. So big picture, I think, you know, very volatile environment, but the fundamental view that we've had is still, we believe, in, in place, and the data is consistent with that. At least it's not telling us that, uh, you know, that scenario can't play out. Jason, thank you very much for joining us to provide some clarity around CIO's thinking on current market conditions and helping us to manage market conditions in the weeks to come. Plenty here that we will track very closely and can follow up on. So looking forward to keeping in touch as the weeks progress, though. Thank you for setting the stage for the week ahead, Jason, and wish you a great week ahead. You're welcome and have a great week. Thank you, Jason. And again, this morning, we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation 
These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the publication which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation this morning, that being the CIO Weekly Regional View for the U.S. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.